I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to Q&A, our regular podcast offering from the Hindustan Times. I'm Prashant Jha, the editor, views of the newspaper. On August 15th, 1947, as all of us know, India became free. It threw off centuries of colonial oppression. It was a moment of great joy and exhilaration. For this moment arrived after decades of struggle, after millions of people had sacrificed so much. At the same time, it was a moment of great challenges. Partition had just happened. The world was changing. Indian society itself, it was not clear, was ready or not ready for this freedom and independence that came on August 15, 1947. Those who led India at that particular moment were very aware of these challenges. They were aware of the challenge of sustaining national unity, sovereignty, territorial integrity. They were aware of the challenge of building a democracy, of building democratic institutions in a deeply unequal land. They were aware of the need to deepen socio-economic justice and reach out to the marginalized, even as the economy grew. They were aware of the need to sustain social harmony in a diverse land, to sustain Hindu-Muslim unity. 73 years later, as we celebrate Independence Day, how has India fared? In this edition of Q&A, it is on these markers of national unity, of democracy, of socio-economic justice and of social harmony that we look back at India's record. First up, what was the challenge of national unity? Remember, partition had just happened. India had got divided. There were many foreign scholars, observers who believed that India may become free, but it would not be able to sustain as a united land, as a united country. The political leadership was very clear that national unity was paramount. Sovereignty was paramount. Territorial integrity was paramount. When the constitution was framed, this became one of the defining principles. The Indian state used a variety of instruments. It used coercion. It used democratic co-option. It used diversity and found ways to accommodate diversity as different principles to sustain this unity. 73 years later, India remains united. Yes, there are territorial challenges, especially in Kashmir and in Ladakh. There are territorial claims that our neighbours have made very unfairly so 
in other parts of the country, particularly the Northeast. At the same time, there is no doubt that the Indian experiment of unity has succeeded. Few observers 73 years ago would have granted that India would remain a united country while being sovereign in its decision-making. India has not only remained united, it has been sovereign. Because of its colonial history, Indian leaders have consistently been resistant to the idea of external forces influencing decision-making in India in any way. And therefore, irrespective of the regime in power, irrespective of the government, what has happened is that the priority has remained unity and the priority has remained strategic autonomy, autonomous decision-making, where India decides what is best for itself. What was the democracy challenge in 1947? The freedom movement was not a nativist movement. It was a democratic movement. The entire argument that those who let the freedom struggle made was that India should be ruled on the basis of what Indians want. By Indians, of course, but on the basis of the consent of Indians. This necessarily meant a representative democratic framework where Indians would get to decide who would represent them. This was a bold, ambitious experiment. Remember, universal adult franchise was not a norm. In a country such as India, where there was rampant illiteracy, where there was information asymmetry, where there was limited infrastructure, the political leaders of that time trusted all Indians with the right to vote. They also began building institutions so that India would not just be a democracy, but a liberal democracy. These institutions would serve as a check on unbridled executive power. There was the parliament, there was the election commission, there was the judiciary, there was the media, there were civil society organizations. India would be a robust democracy. 73 years later, it is remarkable that India, besides a two-year interregnum during the emergency, has remained a thriving electoral democracy. It is the people of India who choose who will rule over this land. They get to exercise their franchise periodically, both for national elections and state elections, and of course, local elections. This is a tribute to the resilience of Indian democracy. At the same time, however, there are now concerns about the quality of Indian democracy. Has India just become an electoral democracy? Have the instruments of liberalism that were introduced in the constitution and which were a part of the vision of those who fought for India's freedom, have these instruments got diminished? Are our institutions as autonomous? Is our media as free? Are the checks on executive authority as robust? Are individual freedoms as sacrosanct? Perhaps not. And therefore, while we celebrate, it is time to rectify and remedy the errors and the distortions that are creeping in increasingly in our democracy. What was the economic challenge when India got independent? India was a land marked by utter deprivation, backwardness, poverty. 
it was very clear to the rulers that political rights, political equality had to coexist with socio-economic rights, socio-economic equality. This could happen with growth, but it must be inclusive growth, which was distributive in character, which ensured that the benefits that would come from growth would reach every segment of society. Different governments adopted different paths. In the initial decades, we saw a centralized, planning-based, semi-socialist, mixed economy approach. It had certain advantages, but it probably went on for longer than it should have. It was only when India liberalized in 1991 that India's entrepreneurial energies were unleashed. The middle class boomed, growth rates escalated. Many people were lifted out of poverty. But this growth may not have been accompanied with the kind of inclusion that was important. 73 years later, India faces a challenge, both on the growth and the distribution front. Growth has decreased. The pandemic has made the crisis worse. And it is clear that the Indian economy will contract and contract severely after a long time. Not only is there contraction in growth, but the distribution of benefits that should have accompanied this growth is also missing. India remains an unequal society. It remains a society where the privileged end up cornering a large share of national resources and benefits, even as the subaltern struggle. It remains an economy where there is rampant unemployment where there is a demand crisis, where supply chains have got affected. The larger picture is an economy which needs work. What was the final challenge? The challenge of social unity at the time of independence. Since partition had taken place, India had a choice. Did it want to be a Hindu Pakistan or did it want to be a secular nation? Our leaders at that point were very clear. India would be secular. Your religion would not define you. The state would not have any religion. The state would treat every citizen without discriminating against them on the basis of their parochial identities. This secular character of the Indian state, the pluralist character of Indian society, got reflected in representation, in laws, in national symbols. This has been one of India's remarkable strengths. There have, of course, been Hindu-Muslim tensions through this period. There have been tensions between various castes. There have been issues of structural oppression, especially with regard to the caste system. But India has consistently made an effort to become a more equal and a more harmonious society. 73 years later, however, the picture is somewhat bleak. There is no doubt that communal tensions in India have increased. The character of Indian democracy is turning more majoritarian. Minorities, religious minorities and Muslims in particular feel a sense of alienation. This comes from the lack of representation. They are today not represented in the ruling party in any substantive measure, especially at the national level. It is a product of the fact that they feel that their cultural symbols and their identity is today under threat. This fear may be real or may not be real, 
But just the fact that there is a certain apprehension requires India to work again on social unity. There remain caste tensions. There remains caste injustice. The fact that there has been affirmative action. Today there are OBCs, Dalits who exercise political power, who have risen up professionally, is testament to India and India's remarkable ability to accommodate social groups and give them opportunities. At the same time, the persistence of discrimination means that India has a long way to go in attaining its quest for social justice. India is today more united than it was ever in its history. India is more democratic than it was in 1947. India today has seen more economic growth and more distributive, inclusive economic growth than it did or could have dreamt of in 1947, perhaps. And India has managed to maintain social harmony in a diverse society. Yet, on all these fronts, particularly in terms of the quality of democracy, the nature of social harmony and economic growth and inclusive growth, there are real challenges. In the next few years, as India approaches its 75th anniversary, these are the challenges that the country must address. That would be a true tribute to India's freedom fighters. If there are questions that you would like to ask us, if there are issues that you would like us to engage with, please write to us at podcasts at hindustantimes.com. Please do follow us on all our social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are at HD Smartcasts. Till next week, stay safe. Thank you. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.